we come back from the Pac-12 championship on the bus and we just won the Pac-12 championship and it was like depressing that there were 17 people, 10 of which are parents. And so you can't set a standard when you have Olympic athletes there. You have people dropping out or creating their Ubers and Adobes of the world as 19, 20 year olds. So you have all this melting pot of- Big deals. Big deals. Yeah. Uh -huh. What's a big deal? That's really cool about Stanford is nobody wants to really be a big deal. Today is my great pleasure to be sitting down with retired NFL running back, pro baseball outfielder, entrepreneur, and family man, Tyler Gaffney. Listen in as we trace his whirlwind sports career from playing college baseball at Stanford and being minor league captain, all the way through playing football for the New England Patriots and winning the Super Bowl. But just because he went from taking the mega bus to charter planes doesn't mean his life is all glitz and glamour. Today we get deep and vulnerable into the non-Facebook version of life, the rigorous reality of a pro football player's schedule, healing from a plague of injuries, having kids at 24, and the bold sacrifices one needs to make in order to win the game and live life to the fullest. Tyler Gaffney, thank you for coming down to Hennessy Studios. Drove all the way from... San Diego, best place in the world. San Diego. And you didn't drive. I didn't. I'm a big proponent of public transit. Huh. Um, did it all while I was at Stanford. Did it. My my now wife, mm -hmm. actually, when I was first signed in the NFL, we got back. We go visit Stanford, have a great time. I actually had booked like the mega bus many a times before I knew her. Yeah. And so, you know. Not that she was expecting anything, but I think she might have expected that we would drive or fly. And I'm like, nope, we're taking the bus <laughs> from, you know, it's like a nine hour venture. And needless to say, that was our, our last time taking the mega bus on a 10 hour trip. So I love it. I just get to zone out and, and I got five year old and a four year old boy. So sure, when you get some time to yourself to get some things done or even just take a mental break. I'm uh, I'm all for it. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. You get a lot of work done, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> no, my wife, uh, so when we first met, we went on our date, a date, our first date, and I tried to take her to the Rio buffet. I didn't have a lot of money, right? And she was not having that. <laughs> So it's a thought that counts, I thought. I had to splurge, <laughs> right? So that's the same. That's my bus public transport story. I want to get into, because we had met in Kentucky, you know, there was some pretty fascinating people on the bus. One was a World Series of Poker champion mm -hmm. who has been a guest on the show. Yes. And another one had a, a Super Bowl ring. <laughs> and I'm like looking around and there's only one guy that looks like he has a Super Bowl <laughs> ring on the uh, bus with us. And it was Tyler, right? And and then, uh, you know, come to speaking with you, or I guess you really didn't have too much of a voice. You still are living a pretty fascinating life, huh? It's funny that you say that because just in the car, we had a coffee date with my wife. I dropped the kids off. We go get coffee. And, you know, this is our time to just be with each other for, what, 45 minutes sure. before I left. We were talking about just, I don't know, I think maybe someone on the radio or something said about the NFL. And I said, honestly, like that happened and it was so crazy and it's a crazy lifestyle and it's unrealistic for anybody to live through. And yeah. so, you know, that's a whole nother conversation of why people have problems post NFL, but it feels like a dream. I almost don't even feel like that happened. Like I, of course I experienced it, but I've talked to plenty of guys, you know, 50, 60 years old now who played in the NFL for 10 plus years. And when they watch, you know, hard knocks and 
really, you know, advertised NFL media, they can't even believe that happened in their mm. life. And they, that was, that is all your life. And so for, for me, luckily enough, I played, you know, five and a half ish years. That's a pretty big percentage of my life where I only did one thing. And, and still like we went on duck boat tours, Super Bowl, the Super Bowl parade mm -hmm. out in Boston, which is insane. And I'm going to definitely go the next time they win. Uh -huh. Um, but it's just, it does, it feels like it went right by and, and here we are now in our, you know, suburban Carlsbad home having the, another phase, but is the best phase. Yeah. The, the dad phase, dad the husband phase, phase right? Exactly right. Before we get into the family, because I certainly want to know a little bit, like, I'm a dad. My family is everything for me too. But I want to go back to the seven-year-old Tyler, where you always just kind of naturally gifted with sports, just anything you kind of played, you just kind of excelled at or what? Yes. The short answer is yes. Mm -hmm. I definitely was gifted younger and it, it stood out. I think Part of it was my athleticism, but the other part of it was I matured faster. Mm -hmm. And so um, you can tell right away when you have, you know, in fourth grade, there's a bunch of kids standing at four foot and then there's a kid standing at five foot. Sure. You know, I had the peach fuzz mustache in middle school. Like, <laughs> I joke around that I've, I've looked, you know, I'm 31. Mm -hmm. I've looked 30 since I was 15. Yeah. Like I haven't aged a day since I was 15, which it wasn't too helpful when I was 15, but. I guess for buying beer. Um, so I was the guy to do yeah. that. Seven-year-old Tyler, yeah, re realized really quickly that he liked winning. Um, he liked, you know, if we want to go deep, uh, liked a, like the approval of others mm -hmm. by winning. And I, you know, I think that's pretty natural. But it became clear to me as I moved up and played older kids in different sports that being athletic or being gifted or whatever you want to call that wasn't going to get me to win. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started at a pretty young age of, I'd say 12, probably middle school when I started like lifting weights, practicing more, working out, whatever, however you want to classify that. And so, but it, it was, it was just play as many sports as I could mm -hmm. and try to win at them all. And it didn't matter if it was racquetball and PE, track and PE, or, you know, soccer, baseball, basketball. I didn't play football till high school. Really? You learn how to win and, and the game within the game. And then that is fundamental for everything. And what was home life like parents and neighborhood you grew up in? And Yeah. The, my parents are the best. We grew up very, you know, low to middle class, but they, I was the wealthiest person in the world. And whether I knew it at the time, I think as you become a dad yourself, you start to see the stresses, everything that goes into being a parent. It's like, it isn't as simple as just raising them. How do you raise them? What, what school do you want to go to? How, who do you associate with? Make sure you bring them home to practice for their, you know, the therapy that they just went through, the, the jujitsu they're in, baseball. Like there's so much that goes into it. And my parents were the first ones to help me in all of those aspects. They probably drove tens of thousands of miles when I was doing travel baseball every year. Wow. Yeah. And, and that never changed up and through Stanford where we played the Pac-12 championship in Arizona and beat them. Mm -hmm. My parents were there. Wow. And then we, they drove from Arizona. I think it was the next day to Stanford. I have no idea how far that is, but it's 10 to 15 hours. Sure. 
and they were there at my senior ceremony where I accepted like the awards and whatever. And then off to the Rose Bowl. That is just what they did and, and who they were. And so they were the prime example of like just undevoted love. Talk about proud moments. Yeah. Right. They're probably there when you hit your first little league home run over the 1000%. Right. Yep. Ran around the bases, right. Yep. Looking up at mom and dad in the stand, seeing how proud they were. Right? Oh yeah. Here we go, mm -hmm. buddy. Yeah. was my, I could hear that. My mom would yell that uh -huh. and I would hear it and it still rings in my head. Um, and you know, you don't appreciate it until you do. Of until course. you realize it. Until oh, you're yeah. in it. Mm -hmm. One of my biggest regrets actually is at some point I told my parents, I kind of like hushed them and was like, you're embarrassing me. And it was super sad, like looking back on it, that I would say that because all you want to do as a parent is like love. I've told them that since, like, I'm so sorry that I ever like, did that because I noticed they started being quieter. And this, this was probably like when I was in college that I said this, mm -hmm. maybe in high school, but um, they were just so proud. And it's not like they were like yelling and no. doing all this stuff. No, mm -hmm. it was, you know, my dad would say at like the Rio buffet, uh -huh. like you, my son scored a touchdown today to like the waiter. And I, I was so embarrassed <laughs> that like, you know, he would say something like that. And looking back on it, it was just a super cool moment by a super cool dad. Yeah. Well, as, as parents, that's what we do is we live vicariously through our kids. Right. And you're doing it now. What did your mom and dad do for work? They were in uh, tech sales and okay. tech distribution. And that's kind of how they met. One was selling, one was buying. And then uh, they developed that relationship and now we're here. It's interesting because, you know, not only did you kind of achieve the ultimate high and like you said, Little League, you know, as far as getting a good education and, and, and taking school seriously, right? Because Stanford is not community college of Southern Nevada, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, and sometimes you know, like athletes are gifted with athletics, right? But maybe not gifted in the classroom. And it seems like you kind of had both of those skills. Uh, gifted in the classroom is a, is a stretch for okay. sure. I worked for it. I yeah. definitely was on the, in terms of Stanford's grading schedule, uh -huh. I was barely in. I tested really well for SATs. My GPA just showed that I didn't give a shit about homework at times. I didn't put that extra effort in, but also on that note, I've seen so many memes or little blurbs about that. You don't need an A plus like those B plus students are usually because they're busy doing other things. Right. It's not because they chose like, I'm just not, I'm just going to sit on my ass all day and uh -huh. get a B plus. You're spending more time no. in the lift, weightlifting yeah. weights, what, right? Whatever it was, mm -hmm. it was like working out. I was our, vice president of our school. I was, uh, I was doing, uh, the broadcasting. And so like I was doing other things, which actually got me into Stanford was because I was doing everything rather than I was, wasn't just an athlete and just a, you know, barely made it <laughs> educational class. So yeah, it's, it is tough. Then you go to Stanford and you just get wrecked. <laughs> um, well, before you get into yeah, the whole Stanford yeah, story. So so did you have an opportunity to play professional after high school? Uh, I didn't. I got in trouble my junior year, and I actually had my junior year of baseball stripped for me. I see. Um, I got to play like 20 games maybe that year. Mm -hmm. Or no, not even 20. I think I had 20 at-bats is what I meant. I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I got in trouble, too many referrals, too many detentions, and they 
you know, made me ineligible for an entire season semester. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I lost baseball. I wasn't allowed to practice with the team. I wasn't allowed to be in the weight room. The dean of students at the time, like really had it out for me. Uh, and he was looking for me to be in trouble so many times. And I occasionally gave it to him mm. that, you know, was devastating, but really I just worked in the weight room from there on and then had the best senior season that I could have ever had mm. in football. In football. Yeah. In baseball, I had a great season too, but football was, was a different, different beast. So football was your number one sport in high school? Uh, yeah. I mean, baseball could have been because I played baseball my whole life. Yeah. But, you know, as soon as that year happened, I went from, you know, I don't know, 1600 yards as a junior to like 3000 yards the next year. And I could just tell I was bigger, stronger, faster. And because all I did that season was work out. And what position did you play? In baseball? Well, both, I guess. Uh, I played center field and right field in baseball. And then football. And then I, I'd bat one through three, depending on, yeah. you know, whatever it was. And then football running back. Running back. Yep. And so uh, senior year of high school, you had a great year. Did your school go to states or anything? Yep. They did? Yeah, we won state championship. Wow. Uh, it was the first one for us. It was a little different back then as it is today, which I love the way they do it now with like open division, division one. and. And you move tiers. Mm-hmm. For me, it was based on attendance. Great year. Did you have options to go to other schools or did you just know you were going to Stanford? No, I was I was actually pretty committed to USC at the time. Really? Yeah. I mean, you had the Reggie Bush, Matt Liner, sure. like just, just the era mm-hmm. of USC football. Um, and I was pretty convinced as a SoCal kid, like that's where I'm going. They had Joe McKnight at the time. And I was ready to let him play, kind of taking the next role. And I don't live running backs, but so do most teams. My dad loved Notre Dame. I had a bias towards Notre Dame in a good way. But the problem then, which is very different now, is I wasn't exposed to any colleges. Social media was nothing. I think the iPhone came out at the end of my senior year. So just being able to like browse and look around. I got an offer from Auburn, and I think Auburn is a wonderful school. Sure. My 17-year-old self that got an offer literally just moved it to the side. Like, what's Auburn? Mm -hmm. And I wish I would have taken my trip down there. But I ended up being between Notre Dame, USC, and Stanford. Then I got into Stanford. Funny story, junior year, I walk onto Stanford. I'm looking up at the flags. It's the Pac-10 at the time. And I don't know this. They're even in the Pac-10. And look up. I'm like, USC, UCLA, Oregon State. Are they in the (laughs) Pac-10? (laughs) <laughs> and that just goes to show like how much you didn't know. And I didn't even know how good or bad their football team was. Their baseball team was always great. Uh, every four years they were in the college championship. And so it was that moment where I was with my dad and we were walking in front of the baseball fields where the flags are. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, oh, well, maybe I could go here. Mm. And they had Toby Gearhart, who was uh, football and baseball at the time. And so it was like, I can do that. He can do it. I can do it. You walked on, you said, did you get much playing time as a freshman or what? Uh, I got a, I got a little bit of playing time. I actually, my only touchdown I scored was against USC that year. Wow. That's cool. It was the Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, like, you know, what's your deal debacle. Mm -hmm. I was the last touchdown when he, when Harbaugh basically, we were up by 25 or 30 and it's like, two minutes left in the game and we're just pounding them driving down Mm -hmm. and we get down to the five yard line and they put me in and I just pound my way to score a touchdown. So cool. Just to, just so he could score 50 or 60, whatever the next threshold was. Yeah. 
But yeah, that was my first ever touchdown. By your senior year at Stanford now, now you're kind of a big deal on campus, right? You're probably like a celebrity on campus. There is no such thing as a big deal on Stanford campus. No? No. <laughs> I, it's it's a tough pill to swallow as an athlete. And not that you want to be a big deal, but like when you do really cool things and, you know, pretty tough circumstances, you want to be recognized sure. by your culture and your family. But like we come back from the Pac-12 championship on the bus. We have 17 people there, mm -hmm. right? You look at, you know, SEC schools, the Big Ten, Big 12. They win a game. They're... They might have 40,000 people yeah. waiting for them to get off the bus. Just a regular game. We just won the Pac-12 championship and it was like depressing <laughs> that there were 17 people, 10 <laughs> of which are parents. And so anyway, but you can't, you can't set a standard when you have, you know, Olympic athletes there, which there's a dime a dozen Olympic athletes. Mm -hmm. You have people dropping out or creating the Ubers and, you know, Adobes of the world as... Sure. 19, 20 year olds, you have prince and princesses of different countries. So you have all this melting pot of big deals, big deals. Yeah. Uh -huh. What's a big deal? What's a big deal? Yeah. And, and nobody, it's really cool about Stanford is nobody wants to really be a big deal. They just show up. I was with, I was with Toby Gearhart and Andrew Luck when they had gone to the NFL and they'd come back. There's a, there's a frat party and it's like uh, a lot of times some of the, frats will make it Stanford only. And so you had to have like your Stanford ID to get in. Toby Gearhart, Andrew Luck, both in the NFL, both first rounders, can't get in. Can't get into the nope. party. No, no Stanford ID. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, that's, they, they're just like, I don't really care. And, you know, we had to find people to do that. Oh but my like God. at any other place in the world, those guys are, have a posse around them just following them around of course Here they just walk up and can't get in a party huh different world there huh damn right <laughs> in a really cool way and, it, and it's small i mean there's only 6500 undergrad so i'm not exactly filling out any stadium yeah. with students like half the students don't go the other half bring their laptop and use the wi-fi and then you have like a you know a thousand or 1500 that like maybe really care Outside of the sports side of it, like as far as the education at Stanford and the the network of friends that you've built there, like what are some cool stories, like friends that went off to start big companies or whatever? Yeah, um, I think some really cool stories are, I just was in my buddy's wedding. Mm -hmm. His name's Jack Mossbacher. He went from writing a thesis and research in Jerusalem to New York theater, you know, making the Broadway circuit or trying to, trying to do that. Mm -hmm. Then he started his own band, which was going really well up right up until COVID. Mm -hmm. And if you weren't established and had, you know, cult following, you weren't going to make it in sure. COVID, right? And so, you know, he starts his own venture group with two other guys and they are crushing it. And that's just like one story. And so mm. Sahil Bloom, if you haven't seen his Twitter threads, you're missing out on life at Sahil Bloom. Hmm. He is one of the most intelligent people I know, but he's also, he'll listen. Um, where a lot of those, you know, psycho intelligent people, like you talk to them and I could ask them how they're doing and they're just still talking about whatever business or, sure. you know, the next move mm -hmm. where he listens. And so um, he's a dear friend of mine. He just had a kid, but he was a Stanford baseball pitcher, um, you know, and I've watched his progression through life of, of all things life go from 215 pounds, maybe a little 
stocky, little chubby to a extremely fit, well-groomed now dad who has been just uber successful in the, the venture world, private equity world. And so I could just like keep, keep going, going on, on and on, on because yeah. the odds of making it professionally in sports are minimal. Oh, they are. Yeah. Yeah. And even that making enough money, if you do make it, making enough money to not do something next is even the smaller percentage. Mm-hmm. And so I think everybody who went to Stanford went to Stanford because sports wasn't the end. Yeah. Even if I had a 10 year career, like, what am I going to do from 34 to the rest of my life? Well, it says here you're 31 years old and yeah. you're retired. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? like, yeah. That's, that's how I like, I like to be incognito. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm retired from football. So you graduated from Stanford and then you had an opportunity to play professional football or did you get yes. drafted or did you have to walk on? Like how did that so all work out? When I was talking to you earlier about the dream, yeah, how it's felt like a dream. Yeah. So Junior year comes around for baseball and I'm all pack 12 or all pack 10, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I hit 330, you know, 325, whatever, two years in a row. Okay. Freshman year, sophomore year, my numbers were so scary identical. I was like, it's eerie with the at bats, the amount of doubles, the amount of triples, the amount of home runs. Like it was the same. And so I got all this love from different MLB teams telling me I'm going to be a high draft pick. My junior year comes around. We play in the uh, Fiesta Bowl and for football. We play in the Fiesta Bowl and lose to Oklahoma State. And that was Brandon Whedon, who was 30 years old as a senior. <laughs> and uh, Justin Blackman, who was just insane in college. And so they beat us. And I really remembered like not playing as much as I originally thought I was going to. Like I had this whole game plan, the Wildcat all these other plans for me. And I didn't play as much as I wanted. And I was selfishly like frustrated. I had a great season. I'd every time I touched the ball, I was averaging, you know, seven, eight yards. So I was like, why am I not playing? Mm -hmm. So that emotion by, you know, 19, 20 year old going into everybody telling me that I'm going to be drafted in the first 10 rounds, depending how good or bad I do. I slumped my junior year, like I slump. I'm not hitting well. My coach and I aren't having the best. He was just very old school mentality. And um, we're not having the best relationship in general. I'm slumping. He starts pulling me from games. Like I strike out to lead off the game and I'm out. I'm I'm on the bench. Hmm. And so to have that first off hitting is impossible in general. Like if you hit three out of 10, you're a hall of famer. Exactly. If you got two out of 10, you're not on the team. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) somewhere in between there (laughs) is greatness. And so with all that pressure of just trying to get a hit in general, if I get out, I might be on the bench. I ended up hitting like 250 that year. Now I'm in this predicament. Like I don't really want to go back to football because I'm frustrated with the situation there. I did not have a great year in baseball. I ended up getting drafted in like 26th round. It was the new CBA, and so they didn't really know how to do the draft either because all the rounds were slotted now instead of, like, being able to pay different rounds, different money. Like, if I they picked up Tyler in the 26th round, originally a year ago paid me a million dollars, and there's no penalty. Now, if you get paid more than 100 k in round 10 on, it's a penalty towards the team. That being said, I, I'm like, I'm going, I'm leaving, no matter what. So I went and played with the Pirates, played short season, did really well, was captain of the minor leagues, had 
maybe self-proclaimed MVP of the team. I don't know. Um, I did. I did well. Where were you living? Where's the state, minor league state team? college, Pennsylvania in Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, actually I lived right by campus and that was when the whole Joe Paterno issue oh, came about. Okay. Um, and they pulled down his statue and I remember driving by a statue on the way to the game or practice, whatever it was. And then when I drove back on, and it wasn't just gone. It mm-hmm. was like a well manicured area and you would have never known a statue was there. Like mm. it, it became part of the campus. Like the campus just ate it. Yeah. And it just was a new entire section. Wow. You were like, wow, I, I swear the thing was right there. <laughs> the, the statue was there. Um, huh. So I leave, I tell them, you know, I go to the Rose Bowl championship with Stanford. They were in it mm-hmm. and I was just a fan. Yeah. They tell me that, uh, you know, like you have your eligibility. My, all my best friends are on team still. They're my year. They're all seniors. Um, and they said, you know, you could come back, you know, they're just joking around. We're uh-huh. all drinking, having a good time. Yeah. And, uh, so I started thinking like, if I came back, how do I make this happen? And so within that week, I basically had made all the calls to my agents understanding like, what can I, do I have to pay for this or can I get a scholarship because it's football, not baseball. Well, long story short, I could get a scholarship because it was football, not baseball. So I call coach Shaw and I tell him, I call the pirates and I tell them that I'm going to go finish my degree and play my last year of football. So I'm going to miss, you know, this upcoming season, which would have only been the fall ball basically of the season of baseball. And then I have a, when the starting job had a great season, got drafted in football. And right when that happened, I was like, I'm not going back to baseball, (laughs) (laughs) the minor league life. And then I, in football, you go straight to chartered planes and big money and actually being able to like live. Yeah. Uh, That was an immediate answer. Drafted by the Panthers, played five years of football, went back to baseball. Okay. After those five years, that was a bad choice uh, in terms of life, wife, two toddlers, like newborn and a toddler in the middle of Altoona, Pennsylvania, which is a coal mining town. And we lived in a dorm room. Oh my. Yeah. It was a six person suite dorm room, but mm-hmm. it was just us in li- a literal dorm room. Huh. You know, the blue squishy beds yeah. that are like foam. Yeah. <laughs> that's, just, that's literally what we had. The only blessing that really came out of there was some great hoagies. And uh, <laughs> my wife got Sports Illustrated uh, while she was there. And like, I think just part of her story of growing was like built there, even though it was a very tough time for my entire family. Oh, okay. Went back to the NFL three years later. Niners, Patriots got cut last season and was like, I'm good. You brought up your wife and your kids, right? Um, And so uh, where'd you meet your wife? What's that story? Uh, I met her in Palo Alto. She was working for Adobe uh, doing the Silicon Valley, you know, stint. She was at Box and then she was at Adobe. She lived right by on University Ave, right by the like the whole you know downtown mm-hmm. uh, Palo Alto, the the bar scene. Which is if you ever been there, it's if you walk it ten minutes, uh-huh. you walk. It's over. Yeah, <laughs> it's done. Uh, it's great uh, for the the culture there, but it's that's it. And so met her. Her sister actually drug her out. Like she didn't want to go. She told them they don't want to go, and her sister was like, "You promised." whatever brings her out. We meet that night. I talked to her. I talked to her again. I asked my friends about her and they, you know, they were, they were like, we don't really talk to her. And was this after you had come back? This is when I came back right before my scene, my last year in Uh Stanford football. Yeah. 
So Got after it. the minor leagues, right before. So Got this it. was my fourth year going on my fifth year. So we start talking. I don't have a place to live, by the way. I don't have money or a place to live in Palo Alto. So I actually boarded SAE and I lived in the SAE house. They let me pay X amount of dollars for, and I say X amount because I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, but literally I had a two, I had a double room, not a, not a single room, but two bedrooms. I had to walk through my roommate's bedroom to like get out. Um, and that was Alex Blandino, who's a big leaguer right yeah. now. Uh-huh. Uh, and my, I shared a wall with Kevin Hogan, who's the guy that actually like I got me back in the NFL just due to video. Mm-hmm. Um, little did we know then. So anyway, I'm dating this uh, woman. Yep. She is in the real world making a healthy six figures. Mm-hmm. And I am bringing her back to, you know, the SAE house. <laughs> If she's coming to my side, that's where she's coming. She was my sugar mama for the time being because I had no money. I needed breakfast burritos. And, and uh, you know, the, we, we really fell in love quickly and had the best time at Disneyland post-Rose Bowl. And that's one of our, like, favorite stories. And then here we are 10 years later. Yeah. Yep. Still happy. Still in love. 10 years. And so uh, did you get married quickly? Uh, we did not get married quickly. Wouldn't it be a great story if I did everything backwards? Thinking about getting married, like ring, research, all that stuff. Pregnant um, with Jackson, Jackson Jet, my first son. Okay. And I'm trying to think how old I was. I was probably 23 when I found out. And yeah. 24 when we had him. Uh-huh. I watched my parents basically see other kids or you know their son get have a baby or get announced a baby and they're so excited that was not the case for us it was a very stale dry room when my parents found out you know i'm the first so i'm also young and um we'd only been together for i don't know two and a half years or so something like that found out in a middle nowhere podunk mcdonald's parking lot because she was feeling really sick at my friend Sahil Bloom's Thanksgiving party or something. Mm-hmm. And and so we're driving back, pull over. It was a, and let me tell you what, when we found out we had about two more hours of driving and it was a it was a long, quiet drive of what are we gonna you, do? What are we gonna do? Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. You, know, you never know. It's your first one. We're not married. We don't we don't uh-huh. know what's happening. She's newly moved out there. And so, you know, we have we have Jackson. I end up proposing in between I told her, once we have this kid, I want another kid. Yeah. So I want them close together. So that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. And so proposed, got pregnant again. And then we got married in a courthouse while she was seven months pregnant. And our son was like jumping around. We had like a 20 year old marry us or, you know, uh-huh. whatever officiant. <laughs> yeah. And, um, my parents were there as witness and my wife actually was laughing so hard. And just because you're pregnant and I guess women that have experienced that, she like, like Peter pants a little bit. She okay sharing that yeah. story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, she is now. <laughs> she is now. <laughs> no, I've, I've heard her tell it a couple of times. I mean, that's the reality of of being a mom. I mean, you, if you've had kids, things go crazy. That's and, right. I mean, you have a. Our kids are both nine and a half pounds. Like I can't imagine a nine and a half pound watermelon coming out of my stomach yeah that's uh we still have not had our wedding we will and we're you know we've we've went back and forth about when we want to do that but i -hmm. think it's like we have nine weddings this year to go to i think it'd be a lot of fun to you know wait five years and when everyone's done having weddings it's like boom it comes this grandmaster wedding where everyone's 35 they hopefully have 
more money, more of their shit together. Uh-huh. And they can, we can really have like a, you know, an extravagant, but very in- intimate wedding. Cause mm-hmm. I only want like 50 people there. Sure. We're excited. Uh, we've talked about it. Now you've got a, a baby and you're still playing college football and right. Uh, no, this was the next year. Oh, after. So this was the this next was right year, after. Right yeah, after. Yeah. Okay. So now you're playing professional football. Yes. At this yeah. Time. That was okay. my rookie season in Carolina. I hurt myself first play of Carolina, uh, training camp, actually turning back to the huddle, huh. had like a 20 yard run toss left, kind of get tackled, knocked out of bounds. Um, I stand up so excited. This first run ever. Yeah. I go to turn, like I, I jump and turn and I felt my knee pop. And I run back to the huddle and I was like, that was weird, but play, play football. Yeah. Shit's going to pop. Get back to the huddle and I'm like doing squats. My coach can tell something's wrong. Mm-hmm. But I keep, it's not, it's not coming back. Yeah. Normally you get hit and you just know like, you're okay. Yeah. You'll feel around. Um, it wasn't coming back and it was feeling like unstable. And I tore my lateral meniscus right out. That was kind of a, a plague of injuries that had started. I tore my lateral meniscus three times in my NFL career, all, all non-contact, all during practice, never been hurt before in my life, never had surgery. Mm. And then all of a sudden here come, you know, three and five years really quickly and they're all season ending. So honestly, one kid and, uh, just a wife with a baby is very simple living still. Yeah, of course. Might as well be like an accessory. I tell people one, one is easy. Two is, you know, one plus one equals 10. Yeah, of course. All of a sudden it becomes like so many things are happening every day. So how many months apart are the two boys? Almost 19. 19. Okay. So my boys are 21 months apart. Yeah. Yeah. The Irish twins. They are Irish twins. Yeah. Yeah. And so my one son got held back in first grade and my other son was like the youngest in the class. So they're actually went through school together in the same grade and they graduate this year. Wow. Yeah. Cool. And so uh, like you, like I played baseball in, in high school, I played football. Um, I was a big wrestler in high school, you know, but I love baseball. Right. And so everyone uh, should do wrestling. Did you do some wrestling? I did not. And I I regret, I mean, not that I wasn't just like, I wasn't just sitting on my ass. I played other sports, but Uh I think wrestling, jujitsu, gymnastics, which is what I'm putting my kids through minus wrestling, jujitsu and gymnastics. Mm -hmm. It is so good for your body awareness and with wrestling, like leverage. Oh yeah. I watched these O linemen that have wrestling backgrounds and they just manhandled hmm. other grown men because they understand and they don't need to be that strong. Yeah. You know, you have your Trent Williams of the world who are damn near seven feet, 400 pounds. He doesn't need wrestling. No. He's just going to be a block. That's right. Where I watch these, you know, only six, two, three hundred pound guys just manhandle people because they get it. Well, well, similar to you, like, uh, I was like seven years old and, um, uh, a friend of mine was into wrestling, like his, since he's like four, right. His parents kind of got him in and I got asked to go to a tournament just to kind of watch him. And it was, it was like, almost like the karate kid story where, um, they're like, are you in for this tournament? And I'm like, yeah. And then, like, here's a belt kind of a thing. Yeah. And so I ended up wrestling in the tournament and I won the tournament. Right. And so I'm like, maybe there's something here with this. And so from that time, I just kind of pursued wrestling. And I, I attribute a lot of my business success, if you want to say success to wrestling days, right. It's the dedication, no one to blame, uh, kind of a thing. But, uh, but the, where I was going with that story is, so when I had children and we got them into little league, the goal is like, these kids are going to be amazing in baseball and sports, right? 
and uh, and that wasn't the case, man. And so my one son got up there, and he he was the kid that you know if he foul tipped the ball, like the whole crowd was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Of course, the kid in right field that's the only one that's wearing the helmet. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Uh, so, uh, but it wasn't his thing, you know. But as a proud, I'm like. Like, man, you know, but they, they've got their own talents, right? Of course. You know, now you just try to music. navigate. Yeah. yeah. So, so your boys, uh, what are they into? How old are they? Yeah. They're five and four. Okay. Uh, so they're still young. Yeah. Jackson Jet and Conway Bo. <laughs> Love and it. So, um, Conway is still, you know, he's four going on two. He loves being a baby. Okay. Um, he loves being mama's boy. He loves cuddling. He, and this is not to, uh, lessen the fact that he is bam bam from fred and you know flintstones yeah yeah this guy will run through a window break everything make messes like he is nuts but when he wants to be loving and a, a baby he'll literally talk to you regular and then he'll turn his voice on where he's just a baby like mm -hmm. he's talking like a baby so he's into whatever everyone else is into okay. at the time. Yep. Uh, where my son just started, my older son just started playing sports and wanting to go back. So that was, that was the first goal. Yeah. So have fun. Yep. Want to go back. Mm -hmm. He quit. We, we tried like soccer two years ago. We tried gymnastics two years ago, a little yep. too early. Mm -hmm. He just didn't want to go after a couple of weeks. Like he was just so adamant and cried about it. And so what, what had happened was, we took a step back, let him just do whatever he wanted again for the time being. And then we introduced baseball and now we just introduced jujitsu and we like the fact that he wants to go back. Mm. I don't care how good you are because honestly, his, he wasn't, he was probably one of the worst on his baseball team. It was his first year and it wasn't all those kids first year, but as a, as a dad and someone who's played baseball, I can easily tell you he's the worst, yeah. but solely for the fact that he looks at his shadow when he's trying to hit. <laughs> no, really. I'm all, I was dad pitching, like doing this uh -huh. and I'm watching him, you know, he's a lefty and he's literally, he's, he's like looking at me and then he starts looking down at his shadow and he's like wiggling. <laughs> and I'm like, you're never going to hit the ball if you're not looking at this right here. <laughs> <The ball. laughs> yeah. And so, uh, long story short, he's figured that out and now he hits it and he, a couple people have cheered for him. And I think it's that, you know, I don't want to say drugs for a, a five-year-old that, that is that's exactly confidence. what it is yeah it's yeah. that confidence it's that reassurance it's that gratification and same with jujitsu now is you know when he gets when he wins uh you know a spar or like he does the right move yeah um, the coaches are really good at like reassuring them mm -hmm. but they're also good at you know ripping some of the older kids ass because it's like six to ten yeah so these 10 year olds who should be leaders are mouthing off or doing whatever you know 10 push-ups they yell at them and and my son gets to watch that Mm. Um, cause he's easily the youngest it's for six to 10 and he's five. They don't listen to dad. Right. Mm -mm. I could yell at him and he just like cowers where someone else yells at him. He's like, I'm going to do better. Mm -hmm. you, just, you just keep yelling. Good. <laughs> yeah. The beauty though, I guess, uh, from the bright side of being retired is you're there to see the games and stuff. Right. Cause most professional athletes are on the road. Right. Yeah. Family no. is not. You know, while they'd love to be at the games and stuff, you know, that's their job, right? They've got to be on the plane, right? There's no, there's no off days, sick days, whatever you want, want to call it from about July to December or January. Mm -hmm. And if you're on a good team through February, you're miss anything. 
during that schedule. I missed countless weddings, bachelor parties, events. I missed pretty like intimate events that I wish I could have been a part of, but there's no off days. You can't like call Bill Belichick and say, Hey, I think I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be gone for two days. <laughs> for a bar mitzvah. Yeah. For a bar mitzvah. <laughs> Uh, you know, he would say, okay. And someone else would be on the team and I'd, I'd be done playing. Yeah. Um, so uh -huh. yeah, I think the, it, it is, it's, it's tough for a professional athlete. I don't know how baseball guys do it. Yeah. I mean, they got 160 games in like 180 days and they're on the road all the time. Football is a little more nine to five ish. Mm -hmm. There's no day off, but it is just Monday through Friday, you know, more or less nine to five. And then, um, it's more like seven to six, but uh, then you have a game on the weekend and yeah, back at it. Yeah. So it's a little more manageable in my opinion. Bill Belichick, right? Because we didn't really talk about that. Um, so you had a chance to go back and play for New England. Yeah. You kind of just tried out. Yeah. So did the tryout. You literally, you, you fly out. With, with COVID, it was a five-day lead time, which was awful. You just sit in a hotel room for five days. You can quarantine and get tested every day. But without COVID, you fly out and you're you're literally you land, you go to bed and you wake up at six a.m. and you're on the field sprinting. I mean, they're full evaluation, like what you see on the combine, kind of. But it's only four players. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's other your other position, and you're just competing with these guys. And so it's it is it's it's a stressful situation for sure, and no one hears about it because they try guys out every single day. Every team does. There's four or five guys every day trying out. What gave you the motivation to want to go back and do that again? Honestly, unfinished business. Yeah. Huh? Uh, yeah, I think that I, I ran routes for Kevin Hogan, who I alluded to earlier. Mm -hmm. So he could send his film in for uh, being a quarterback during COVID. Yeah. Because there was no in-person tryout. So you would just send video. Mm. Uh, and I was the receiver in his video. He asked me and some teams saw it and were like, is he ready to play? Started getting tryouts. I sent in my own videos uh, and then ended up getting picked up by the Niners during COVID season when they were in Glendale, Okay, which is a bizarre experience. But part of that was I was in Christmas and New Year's in Glendale, Arizona, locked in a hotel room. And that was like a really, like I made it, you know, and, and now I'm just sitting in, in a, a hotel room. Surreal world. Yeah, right now, exactly. Right? Uh -huh. I'm, like, I'm not even in Santa Clara, which is where their headquarters are. I'm in Arizona. I'm not with my family. And I'm like, what? You know, that was the first little bug that got into me. It's like, is this worth it? Yeah. So four weeks later, I'd made it late in the season. Four weeks later, their season's over. No playoffs. Two coaches tell me that can't wait to have me back. Bring me in. Personal meetings. Uh, John Lynch calls me two weeks later and is like, we got to release you. You know, we had someone come off COVID and it was an oversight, like COVID restriction or whatever it was. Um, and so they released me back to the drawing board. Um, do I want to do this? I keep training. I'm training during COVID running on concrete. Cause you know, don't want to run outside yeah. in parks. COVID might be there. <laughs> Who knows? People are wearing like yeah. space shoes to the, yeah, but it's definitely not in the middle of the street where my local policeman kicked me off the park and said I could run yeah. in the asphalt. Uh -huh. I was like, yeah, that's going to go well. Uh, <laughs> just running routes and sprints on asphalt is, but why isn't the COVID here? Uh -huh. Why is it only in that, you know, green grass area that's exactly. <laughs> wide open? <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so, uh, 
yeah, I, I started training and I said, I came back to score touchdowns and like help a team win. A couple of teams go by, try out, try out. Patriots bring me in. It's going really well. And, but I'm also battling that like bug away from my family for month again. And what year was this now? This is 2021. This is so last season. Recently. Yeah, this is last season during preseason. So I went through them with OTAs, training camp, and then day before the first preseason game, which is the worst time to get released, is when I got released because they had they had two safeties, like pull their hamstring or uh -huh. whatever. And it was the two guys that was probably going to play in that first game. And they weren't going to have Dev McCourty, who's their captain for 12 years, play an entire preseason game. So they needed to bring them in. We have five running, six running backs at the time. He's, I mean, what I love about Bill is he's just very honest. There's really no, it's very dry, very honest. You're going to get exactly that. Whether you like it or not, it's just like, here's the deal. And I think that that moment, I, I felt like a little relieved that my direction was like, do I keep going or am I done? And right then and there, I decided like, I'm, I'm done. You're done. I want to be home. Like, I, and when we say retired, like now I just get to do what I want to do. Sure different projects, different ventures. Um, but mostly just being dad and being a husband and, sure. you know, making up for lost time. It feels like I've never felt fulfilled, whether it be like imposter syndrome that I've made up for any lost time. I'll go to Disneyland all day, 7am to, you know, 9pm. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that wasn't enough. Uh -huh. Yeah. I didn't. Okay. And then the next day I have to send him to school early because I have a meeting yeah. an hour early. And I'm like, just like, I just throw him around like he's nothing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, that, it's that battle. When you care, it's that battle. I love it. The family is everything. That's why, actually, that's why I'm here. The family is everything. I learned that about you right away when we first met in um, uh, Kentucky. And then, um, you know, watched your social media and stuff. And I was like, freaking like this guy. That's cool, yeah, man. I mean, that, anybody, not anybody, but like, there's so many people who have successful businesses. So like, what, what differentiates you? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's usually, I just say it's the North star and that is so, you know, there's a multitude of things that equal a North star, but when you have that, it takes all of them to get there. Sure. Yep. Sure. Well, thank you. I'm honored. Of course. I really am. I didn't know that. Um, so thanks for sharing. Yeah. Like I, I came from a, uh, a childhood without a father. Yep. And so, you know, now I'm compensating mm -hmm. and I'm giving, trying to give my kids the life that, that I never had. Yeah. Right. And so I spend so much time as we do everything. And same with you. You know, I looked on your um, social media. Yeah. I know you're trying to kind of come off of it. You said a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just detoxing from it all. That's and, so and good. I mean, yeah. only so many hours in the day. That's right. So mm -hmm. right now is that's not time for me. And I know it's very lucrative and uh, extremely important in nowadays to be alive and have a personality, but I'm just, I'm not there. And yeah. Um, and I'm maybe one day. Well, one of the things about social, right? I mean, like it's in most cases, it's the facade, right? It's all the positive yeah, stuff yeah. that's happening in everybody's life. Yep. And uh, recently I decided to be vulnerable on social. Yeah. Um, I think it was Facebook, you know, cause like life was not going well. Yeah. Like we had this huge flood yeah. that happened in our house. We have to move out. Uh, my wife got into a car accident. My son ended up spraining his ankle. Yeah. Right. And I'm just like, why just post all the positive stuff? Let me just be vulnerable for a second. And you'd believe that had the most engagement ever. You know, people texting me, calling me, right? And and it just felt good just to kind of be vulnerable. First off, authentic and relatable is number one on any social media platform, mm -hmm. right? Like if you can do that, 
everyone's engaging. Yeah. But number two, I hate that it has to be called vulnerable, which is human. the definition today. Yeah, yeah, just being human. Exactly. Like you're just being a regular human and you experience good things and you experience bad things and we learn from both and how we move forward is based on that experience. And mm -hmm. so, you know, being vulnerable by talking about just a very honest thing that 99 out of 100 people have gone through. Same thing. Yeah. Everyone's right now. You know, most probably, people have been yeah. in a car accident. Most mm -hmm. people have had someone they love sprain their ankle and yeah. whatever it may be. But it, it, it sucks that that has to be the word, right, is, is vulnerable That's because right. it's not normal. It's mm -hmm. only the positive and the highlight reel. You know, I wish there was a platform that it was like, this is just real. Mm. Um, and you can't because you get all the people that want to flex and private jets and talk in their Bugatti cars and whatever. And it's like, that's not relatable. That's it's not. like, a, that's a dream that people are just watching and being sad over. Same thing. Even the yeah. reality shows that everybody tune into, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they only show the highlights, right? They're no, not showing the real shit that of people course. are going through. You They're know only I mean? showing, that, that's what I hate. That's why I'm honestly, you know, off social media as much as I can. Uh -huh. uh, I'm, I'm human. Uh -huh. Uh, but it is, it's, it's like the only thing on news or any media outlets is like, how can I get a click? Uh -huh. How can I get clickbait? And re regard, like, as long as the clickbait can be great, as long as the story represents what I just clicked on. Um, I think a lot of times it's, they're only looking for, you know, the, the death or the, the race, oh, they or are. The, the negative, like the really grindy negative thing that hurts us at our core. Mm -hmm. And then you read through the entire article and you're like, man, it didn't feel as bad as that, as that headline, that headline was. Uh -huh. And I hate how that is, you know, it used to be, you just reported in Instagram used to be, you remember in Instagram, you used to take a picture of like, I would take a picture here yeah. like this post done. Uh -huh. Like that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Or I take a picture of the sunset. Like Instagram was filled with sunsets. <laughs> And it was just like <laughs> no filter sunset. Like this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, now it's it's a you know there's five million apps that can edit you to look like Tom Cruise. It, it, right? Literally. Yeah. And so <laughs> you know they spend hours doing that for a hundred likes, and then they're sad. And I'm like, hey, just let people know. And I talk to my wife about this all the time uh, because you know she she posts a variety of things. Uh -huh. The ones she gets the most engagement on, bar none. Are just real family, authentic, authentic uh, posts, post, right? Yep. Where she's talking about you know not the the not so glamorous side. Mm. How she had you know she's walking around at Trader Joe's and she had you know poop under her nails because <laughs> she had just cleaned up our son and, yeah. and didn't realize like you wash your hands, but it wasn't like oh I'm gonna get under my nails and, and fix this. Yeah, um, but just very regular things and and so. And that's what most people associate yeah. with. Everyone, everyone's yeah. been through that. And exactly. No, you know, I talked about her peeing her pants and here I am talking about it again. <laughs> uh, but like, that's a percentage of people have gone through something similar, whether it be embarrassing or, or whatnot. And so um, that's the type of people I like engaging with. Again, why I'm here. Thank you. So I, I had joined a group. It's called YPO. Yes. Right. Um, and that's these a are, slight. That's a slight flex, by the way. If you want to, you say can so. only be in YPO if you're a big baller. <laughs> well, there's a lot of big ballers in YPO. Of some of which are much way bigger ballers yep, yep. than I think I'll ever be. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's really you go through this vigorous. Like, first of all, you got to try to qualify to get in, mm -hmm. and then after you qualify, they got to like 
audit you to make yes. sure that you're that legit. True. Right. Yep. And then after that, then you got to go through one audition with one person. And if you pass mm -hmm. that, then you got to go on to a group audition. Right. Yep. And so I remember very clearly I'm on my group audition for YPO and they say, Hey, Jason, uh, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so like six people introduced yeah. themselves. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, okay, great. You know, well, Jason Hennessy, I'm an entrepreneur. I started an agency. I've got 160 employees. You know, we're doing this much in revenue, blah, 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 you know? And I, I went on for about seven minutes. Right. And they're like, Literally, this is what they said. Okay, that's great. Can you tell us the non-Facebook version of your life? Yeah. And I'm just like... I didn't read prepare for that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just yeah. like, whoa. I'm like, well, if you want to know that. Um, and then I just started getting into like the real shit. Of course. You know, the real shit at the time was my father was kind of like starving himself in Florida. And I had to go back and forth. And I didn't really have a relationship with my dad. Yeah. And and all the real shit that was kind of going on. And, um, and, you know, and, and I think it was that, that I, I, I'm starting to learn to be more human. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm just like, wow, if all these really smart, successful people are just kind of being human or vulnerable, whatever yeah. word you want to use, then I guess that's what we should all be doing. No know? doubt. I mean, it works in, even in business, mm -hmm. like you're not the only person that has, built a great SEO business. Mm -hmm. And so when someone's choosing, you know, they're, they're picking between 0.01% of who's better. It's like, who do I want to work with? That's right. Who do I want to be around all the time. And mm -hmm. a lot of times you'll take, you know, if, if you were less than the other guy, but you were way better to be around and uh, more human, uh -huh. they're going to pick you. That's right. Um, that's why sales guys are always the chatty, you know, smooth, <laughs> you know, sometimes douche, but they, uh, they know how to talk and have a good time. And that's what people want to be around. So what keeps you busy these days? What does a day in the life look like you for you today? Yeah, I've, uh, I have a lot of projects rolling on typically things I want to do. I, I told you I'm, I'm heading to Oakland later today to shoot, um, the actual first athlete shots of an athlete to athlete, uh, coaching app athletes showing other athletes how to be great athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're filming like the most, the 120 most common workouts, warmups, whatever it may be. So that when coaches go on here to fill their workout, um, if they're a coach or if an athlete goes on there, they can just click from the repository rather than like have to film it themselves or, or whatnot. I think it's really important to get an athlete's perspective, but also these athletes are going to be able to monetize their business so well because they're going to work out no matter what. Um, so like, how do we capture that? How do we build those programs for you? And that's all moving forward. I think the really cool aspect is every single city in America, in the world, has 100 locally famous athletes that went to that high school went on to college, did great things, um, and then maybe stopped because they couldn't go on to the next level or, you know, professionally didn't make sense financially. And so how can we change the fact that geographically you are not there? There are 10,000, 1,000, whatever the amount of athletes that know about you in that town, you're the on the hall of fame for your high school. Like sure. they definitely know you. How can we monetize those athletes? It's easy if I put Jerry Rice up on TV or any, you know, insert Hall of Famer, 
they're going to get, they're going to get athletes to follow their program. But when you hear somebody you haven't heard about, but he's from Bozeman, Montana, and he was the best linebacker to ever come out of Bozeman, people in Bozeman are going to follow that. So that's ultimately what we're creating uh, out there. And then really big into IoT, Web3 space, really learning, learning right now, iterating probably 25%, uh, but learning major- majority because I don't think there's an answer yet, but it, there's a wave coming and it's a massive, massive wave, in my opinion, of all things, Web3, crypto, mining, IoT devices, blockchain. And so I just take an hour, two hours a day to learn, whether I listen to people, whether I read things, whether I just dive in on a technology that's already doing it and just like go through their whatever, their website. And so being able to create in there and be on the forefront of that is is really important. I think it was the whole, you know, dot com. Nobody knew what that was going to entail. Pets.com failed, right? Yeah. And you, you definitely know that story because it was just the wrong time. Um, and so I want to be on the forefront of this happening. And so I have a couple partners that were, you know, building different projects out in different countries as, you know, pilot programs. And then we'll go from there. And in other countries, why, why they're there, uh, <laughs> less bureaucracy and a lot easier to get actual infrastructure built where if I want to build something next to you and in LA permits might take oh, yeah. a year to just get permitted mm-hmm. uh, before I can even break ground. Agreed. Yeah. In other yep. countries you can, you know, pay someone that day and it's built. Sure. <laughs> Sounds like you're kind of living the entrepreneurial life at this yeah. time. Uh, exactly. And I, I do a lot of things where I've, I've invested in, I'd say zero to one startups, whether that be seed, you know, series a somewhere in there. Uh, I find usually in the e-commerce space because I'd built, uh, an e-commerce brand. So I understand that mentality. But, but for me, as you talked about wrestling, there's like fundamentals you learn about things. And for me, it was taking complex information and making them simple and that applied in sports, but that also applies in, in business. And so when we're trying to problem solve for things, you know, I can take that situation and be like, okay, well, this is the first brick we have to put down to get to that empire state building or whatever it is. And so, um, you know, operations and marketing is like where I lean on, but I love wearing multiple hats and helping out in all regards going from, you know, marketing to operations to I'm in there with a screwdriver building a mining device. Helium was, was the one I'm talking about. And so, you know, I'm, I'm having to put the router in, it's not working. How do I do this? How do we put a fan in there so it doesn't overheat? Cause it's going to be up high and Latin America during whatever. And so like, we're doing that too. And I'm, that is not like, I, I know how to build. I don't, I definitely don't. I mean, I know how to build. <laughs> I really know how to build kids toys really well. <laughs> um, fastest kids toy builder in the world. But uh, yeah, so I just love learning and, and being a part of, of new things. And especially in that industry, whether it be sports tech or, um, you know, all things web three. It sounds like you're, like you said, learning, which is good. You know, some stuff will be wildly successful. Others won't. Right. Exactly. You know, and there's thousands of projects launched right now, thousands of NFT projects launched. Mm -hmm. 1% of them are going to be successful. So who's, who's your no person? What do, what do you mean? Who tells me no? Yeah. Who tells you no? Is it your uh, wife? No. 
<laughs> uh, I mean, for, because there's so many opportunities in the day. Right? Okay. Yeah. So when you talk about opportunities, yeah. Um, I always talk to her and she does do a good job of playing devil's advocate. Yeah. But in retrospect, like she knows little to nothing about web three. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to like talk about the opportunity Yeah, when she, she might not understand the, it. Yeah. She doesn't quite understand it. And so for me, when it's e comes to e-commerce, I said, there's a couple of things I look at. Like you look at financials to make sure they're trending, profitable, whatever, you know, the, at the stage of business there are. Mm -hmm. But the number one thing I learned when I've talked to people much smarter than me, the guys I talked to, Jack Mossbacher, Sahil Bloom, who, who invest in people. What is that founder like? What is their personality like? Oh yeah. They invest in the people. Yeah. Oh, they, for sure. And they invest, they invest in the people and that's, that's exactly what I'm doing. And mm -hmm. it's almost like the, the number one thing you think about is would this person rather die than let this business fail? You know, that's only a little bit of an exaggeration. It's, and are they, you know, crazy enough or simple or stupid enough that when there is a hardship, they don't abort sure. mission. I know so many jackasses that own 50 million, hundred million dollar businesses and it should have failed 20 times along the way, uh -huh. but they were honestly too stupid to realize they're in, they're in debt $2 million. This is failing. This is, that's failing. Yeah. They just didn't understand the ramifications of that, but because they kept going and kept going, like something Tenacity. hit mm -hmm. yeah. and, and that works. But when you have honestly those, you know, valid Victorians, as soon as the time gets tough, they might pull out because they're in a hundred thousand dollars debt, 12 months down the road. It looks like they're going to be in a million dollars debt, whatever it is. And they, they understand that too well. So they, they bail. Sure. Um, so you're, you're looking for like a mixture oh, yeah. it, of that, I, right? I saw, I saw a Ted talk recently. It was a woman. I can't remember her name. Uh, I'll, we'll include the link, uh, on this post, but, um, there's a woman talking about like, is it better to be bold or smart? Yeah. Um, and she built an, uh, an argument that is better to be bold than to be smart. Yeah. Because what happens is when you're so smart, sometimes you think about all of the what ifs, like yeah. what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? What if this, and you end up starting to talk yourself out of For sure. the opportunity. Whereas if you're bold, you just kind of just go, yeah. you just kind of try to make it happen. Right. And, uh, and it was pretty fascinating. I never thought of it like that. Right. Yeah. And for me, I've always been the bold person. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've, my secret to my success is hiring smart people. If we, well, you need smart people. <laughs> Do not discredit that. I'm not looking for a bunch of simple minded right? jackasses to invest in. Exactly. And then I'm taking another look. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. You're right. Smart man. Uh -huh. Never be the smartest person in the room. No. I don't ever want to be. Oh, uh, right. And so, uh, so when I said, who's your no person? So I've got a no person uh, and he's my COO of my, yeah. of my organization, not just yep. my one company, but my whole company. Um, all of my companies. And so he's the one, cause opportunities to present themselves every day. Yeah, right. Of course. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, Oh, this is great. This could be the next big thing. But you know, sometimes they just become either distractions yeah, or just more time away from your family. Right. Yeah, no you doubt. Know? You only have so many hours in the day. I, mm -hmm. I completely agree. So, um, but it's nice to have that no person in your life. And he, he, he overanalyzes a lot of things and yeah. MIT grad with a Kellogg MBA. For <laughs> sure. Just, Went on Jeopardy, won the game. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So now that you say that, I have four people that I really lean on. Uh -huh. um, 
and I take it take an aggregate. Of yeah. them. And honestly, none of them are really know people that was the issue because they're not like invested with me. Typically, yeah. I just take their information and I create a no. Sure. Or I create a yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always want it to be yes. Like I always want yes. Yeah. Uh, and so it's really helpful for them to like break things down in different regards. Some have different backgrounds, but they all want have my best interests. Yeah. That's all that matters. Oh, love it. So you're in the car. You got your wife, your two boys. Yep. Dinner time. Who's, who's picking where you're going to eat? Who, uh, who wins that battle? Love that you brought this up. We don't go out to eat. You don't go out to eat? No. Okay. I I cook probably 90% of the time. Yeah. I usually cook like a meal for the kids, which is very... kid. I'm not cooking anything special. I'm talking pizza, chicken nuggets, teriyaki chicken bowl. Uh-huh. Very simple for them. And then, you know, I cook our meal. But thing I have with my kids is... They have to try our food. Yeah. I'll make you your own food, but you are going to eat some of my food and some of your mom's food Mm -hmm. because I need you to try it and realize like you like this. Yeah. I'm not going to force you to eat. I'm not going to, I made it. That's what you're eating. Yeah. I get it. Uh Trying to find the happy medium, but they have to eat some off our plate. So yeah, we don't, we don't eat out like ever. Uh, That's the best way. Except for date, date nights. When we have like our a date night between us, yeah, that's like the number one thing we want to do. And so to answer your question, she usually picks because she normally has a deal with that restaurant or business or industry that we're eating or we're getting paid. Mm-hmm. She's getting paid to eat. Okay. Um, and it's all compensated. And so like that works. That's good with me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, next time you guys are in LA and a date night and you want to go to the Magic Castle. Um, have you ever been there? No. Yeah, I'm a member, so uh, it's oh, wow. a cool experience. Wow, for sure. I, yeah, I've heard of it. What mm-hmm. that's like a um, Soho house type, like similar, similar. Yeah. I mean, I know not same, same, but uh-huh. um, in terms of being a member and yeah. getting in, nice. It's really cool. You go there, and nobody has the same exact experience. You go in; it's a very like exclusive, like private kind of a club. Yep. And you never know who's going to be there, and you just kind of have a nice dinner, and then you go Where is to that? different rooms. It's up in uh, Hollywood, like right off of uh, behind, like like Highland area. All right, so we're going to play. It's not a game. It's just called Hennessy Heart to Heart, yep. um, where I ask questions, and then the first thing that comes to mind, you just say. Do I answer it quickly, quickly. or okay? Yeah, you give a little thought, yeah, but yeah, you know, okay. whatever first comes to mind, you into it. Intuition, right? Can't wait. What is the best concert you've ever attended? Genesis, because it was the first concert with Phil Collins. Phil Collins, you get to see him live. Huh? Yeah, I think at the Hollywood Bowl. Really? I'm pretty sure. Wow. I was I was young. Uh, like, I didn't even know what weed smelled like, and there was weed everywhere, for uh-huh. sure. He just had his farewell tour, and I don't know if he'll be playing much more, but, yeah. um, man. So did, so, did the, so did the dude, or not the dude. Bruce uh, Springsteen. Springsteen. He had his farewell tour like two years ago. The boss, not the, the boss. Dude. Yeah, sorry, the, <laughs> the dude, dude. Big Lebowski. In California, yeah. we call him the dude. Yeah, we call him the dude. In out Jersey, here. the yeah. boss, right? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, Phil Collins for sure. Genesis. That's cool. I vividly remember like they do the the drum scene at every concert in oh like, in the air tonight, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, the before he starts, there's like he the drummer does a full. Yeah. ordeal uh-huh. and then they start the song but um yeah who was your role model growing up my dad instant he yeah. just yeah for sure i mean and he's becomes even more of a role model when him and i are like 
very, very different people. Mm-hmm. Like I eat, I eat everything. I'm very social. I like, like, you know, talking to people, being on a podcast. Mm-hmm. My dad would do none of that. No, huh? uh, no. Um, and he, he eats probably less than 12 items, you know? So picky, huh? Yeah. Well, huh? not that he's picky. He just like doesn't. Creature of habit. Yeah, he doesn't just, want to eat anything else. Like, mm. you know, it's like a steak and, you know, pancake. Very American, simple diet. Yeah. Yeah. And so your parents live close to you? Yeah, they live in uh, probably 25 minutes from me. Oh, like that's south. cool. Yeah. And what uh, about your wife's family? They live in San Jose. Okay. Uh, so by Stanford. I got it. What thought or practice gets you through the day? Working out. Hmm. My my wife could tell you easily by how I'm acting at around one to two p.m. if I've worked out that day. Oh wow, one thousand percent. And I know too. I I like need it for my brain to turn on. Like when we talk about coffee, I still I still chug coffee. Uh-huh. Uh, but I need a workout to have like clarity and to emotionally like be stable for that day. Not that I'm unstable, but I'm like a little snippier. It's kind of like you're hangry is how I would, sure. I would describe it. But I'm just hangry for the rest of the day until I've worked out. Side note, we were at uh, Kentucky at a dinner and they did a push-up contest. And there's like, you know, fit people there, right? And uh, One and- of the trucker guys was massive. Like, I thought he was definitely going to win. <laughs> he was like a bodybuilder. And he gets up there and there's like, I don't know, starts out at like 12 people and six people and four. And I'm like, my money is on Tyler for yep. sure. And sure enough, you were not going to give up. No. Huh? Yeah, I was going to die before I was going to lose to, I thought it was going to be a bunch of lawyers up there, but it was kind of like the people who were invited. Uh, yeah. Uh, there was a couple of lawyers up there, but um, yeah, there was like an Iron Man up there. The, uh, yeah. I thought really that guy was. might win. Uh huh. Because he's 145 pounds. Exactly. Seriously, that's like all mindset, right? For sure. Like when you're in there, like it's just like sometimes your mind is controlling your body, right? Even though your body's about to give up, but you're like, uh uh, I'm not losing. No, mine, I mean, all of those crazy psychos that you can follow, the David Goggins of the world, Mm -hmm. like they could, they'll tell you every time that we quit, you know, 60% or whatever the percentage is before we're done. You're supposed to, yeah, Yeah, before you can, yeah. Everything in your body's telling you to quit. Like Mm -hmm. it sucks, it's cold, it hurts, it, you know, I'm tired, but you're not done. Yeah. Just like when you're starving because you didn't eat for a day, you can actually live for 10 more days with no food. Exactly. It's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. It pisses, so true. Me, pisses me off. I'm hungry though. I promise <laughs> you. Speaking of food, what's a, what's a favorite food that you could never live without? That's a good question. Favorite food right off the back was sushi. Sushi. Okay. Yeah. But live without, if I had to be like very particular, peanut butter. Ooh. Yep. Okay. I like make my own peanut butter on the regular, hmm. we joke around that if my kids were allergic to peanut butter, they might just go out for adoption. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a tough choice. Yeah, it would be a tough That's choice. That's a quote. Yeah. <laughs> What's the most important lesson to teach a child? We tell our kids that you never give up. Never give up. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think for a child, it's just so basic that you just never give up. And that, that goes with a lot of things. We have a lot of like multi uh, dimensional sayings. Mm-hmm. Like you always clean up your mess. Mm-hmm. Right now when you're four and five, it's like an actual toy mess. 
Um, but when you're 10, 15, 20 years old, then you have like life messes mm. and you always need to clean those up. So I hope they like last forever. So always clean up your mess and never give up. Got it. Have you ever done something so spontaneous that you surprised yourself? No. And I'm, I'm, I'm maybe twofold because I think about everything I'm going to do right yeah. then and there. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and so spontaneous. No, it's like I made the decision, even if it was a five minute decision for five minutes in my brain, it was a full deep thought. 1000 person like sit down. <laughs> conversation yeah. up there. Yeah. I'm trying to think of anything. The, the one thing I really want to do is have my next time we get pregnant uh, is not find out the gender. Okay. Because there's not a lot of surprises left in life as an adult. Mm -hmm. Like if you experience 99% of what the world has to offer. Yeah. And so being surprised by something is like, like savior those things. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's true. Good so way to look at that. Having like a gender reveal as the baby mm -hmm. uh, is one of those moments in my, my book. Mm. It's not in my wife's. She wants to know, so. I live a completely spontaneous life. My wife and I got married after knowing each other for a month and a half. Wow. It was just April Fool's Day. I came home, said, yeah. let's go get married. And we did. And yep. so 23 years later, three love kids that. later. One time I was driving down the road and I was doing sports betting at the time. And I had like, I don't know, like $15,000 in cash on me at the time. And so uh, I'm driving down the road and there's a tree, the sign that says palm trees for sale. <laughs> and so I pulled over. I'm like, this big palm tree would look amazing in my front yard. And I bought a, like an $8,000 palm tree just because, right? So yeah, I, I just kind of sometimes, I guess I just live the spontaneous lifestyle. I envy that. Yeah. I think I'm institutionalized uh -huh. because of sports that, you know, this leads to that, that leads That's to this. True. Mm -hmm. I, I talked to my therapist about it, so I'm working on it. <laughs> what makes you angry? When people don't take advantage of what life has to offer. Mm. And that's another way to say like weak, dumb people, mm. because we all were given, uh, most of us were given two feet, two ears, two eyes, two hands, like yeah. very similar opportunities. Yes, there are people that were ahead, whether it be because of their parents or whatnot, but I know thousands of people that were successful in a terrible upbringing. And I know thousands of jackass kids that came from wealth and they're not. And so I hate when people just do not take advantage of what's right in front of them. Big things like that, but also small things like not turning right on a red light and just, yeah. what are we doing? Uh. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what are you waiting for? <laughs> There's a saying, right? So like at the end, right? Whatever you believe in spiritually, yeah. right? At the end of your journey, when yes. you transition, there's a saying that you're probably going to meet the individual that you were destined to become. Love that. And you want to try to be as close as you can to that individual. Yes. Right? I love that. Live life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. right? Take risk. Yeah, be right? bold. Mm -hmm. What helps you decompress? And if you haven't worked out. <laughs> Working out helps me decompress. Yeah. But um, playing with my kids, I put, you know, digital stuff away. And it's kind of like live in their world. Because I, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, too old. I still remember... Like very, my wife says my memory is too good for these things. Yeah. Cause I remember like my kindergarten teachers, people in this class, first and last names. Like I don't remember them all, but uh -huh. I can vividly talk to you about a lot of them. I remember playing with like bugs and dinosaurs and 
creating these little, you know, arenas where I would harvest them all in. And so I'd like to join into their world huh. and it's not always easy. Um, you're tired. They they have attitude, whatever, you know, the, the friction is. Sure. But that really, like, I feel so good hmm. about being with them and like being in character and being that action figure he wants me to be. That's and cool. I love that. What's your favorite movie? For entertainment, either Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore. Oh, yeah. Huh? Yeah. Oh, Adam Sandler all day. Uh -huh. Number one. My wife is being an actress, uh -huh. or, you know, trying to fulfill that dream of hers. Yeah. She wants to be hashtag strictly Sandler. Okay. And it's just all Adam Sandler movies. Wow. Uh, entertaining, Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison. Maybe the best movie. I also like Guardians of the Galaxy for an overall entertainment. Yeah. It's funny. Action. I'm a nerd at heart. So I don't know. A few good men sticks out. Shout out to your your law SEO guys who've all seen that movie a million uh -huh. times. <laughs> it cycles, right? There's a lot of movies I could talk about, but I just saw a few good men Did you? a year ago. Sticks out. If you had to live somewhere other than California, where would it be? Uh it would be somewhere in the forest or jungle. Very tropical, like a Costa Rica or like a Montana. And those mm. are two opposites, but yeah. fell in love with Jackson Hole. Or be in the forest like that. Mountains, forest. What's your go-to karaoke song? Well, actually, my favorite one is The Real Slim Shady by Eminem. I know the words from my 10-year-old self or whatever <laughs> it was. So I just, it's just passion and everybody loves it. It's a party favor and I get, I'll, I'll get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. You would have seen it in Kentucky, but... I had no voice for the first time in my life. No voice. I, yeah. And when I say no voice, like people couldn't hear me whispering in their ear. No, like, it's yeah. real bad. I yeah, remember. Never experienced anything like it. Do you have any lame dad jokes that you use on a regular basis? Lame dad jokes. Uh, <laughs> I think I think the best dad jokes come naturally they when just you can just do. take a, a situation. Someone says something and you're like, perfect. Uh. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't off the top of my head. There's a uh, there's a Instagram handle called Dad Jokes or something, yeah. and every day there's just amazing like dad jokes. Oh, the two guys talking. Well, that's one. Yeah, I've you seen know what I'm talking one. about. Uh -huh. They're like talking but to each other. This is just yeah. like a it's just a joke that they place every single day, and just some it. of them are just like you know, dads appreciate it. Oh, more one thousand percent. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, there there is a guy on there who always talks about like showed my neighbor how to uh, you know cut his steak in front of the rest of the neighborhood. Like I'm the power uh -huh. or whatever. <laughs> just yeah, little little things like that. What motivates you to be the best version of yourself? Well, now my kids. Yeah. Like my family, I try to be better for them every single day. And mm. sometimes that's a lot for them because it's a lot for me. Yeah. And I know I'm not like easy to be around all the time just because I'm constantly like putting the pressure on, whether it be putting on you, whether I be putting the pressure on myself, but you can feel that being around me. Mm -hmm. So my friends, my family have both told me that. Got it. And of all the things that you've done in your life, right, from... You know, having children, going to Stanford, playing professional football and baseball. What's the one thing that you think your parents are most proud of you of? Uh, for the dad I've become. For, mm. the, for just the man I am now. And I only know that. I know that because I think it, but I know it because they told me. Mm. And just the like life I've cultivated, which is very a very normal, regular life. It's just the love and affection and inclusion of everybody 
um, that they really appreciate. And then one last question off the script here, but what was it like kind of playing ball with like Tom Brady? What was that like? Yeah. Um, Tom and Bill are the best fundamental leaders in the world for very different reasons. Bill knows how to take anybody's strength in the room and formulate it into and use it and formulate it into the game plan. Mm -hmm. So if you're a pass rusher, like you're going to pass rush, he's not going to put you in pass coverage. If you're a, you know, run stopper, or if you're a man coverage guy, like those are the situations you're going to be in. And it doesn't need to be a surprise because if they're really good at it, then it doesn't matter. And then Tom, you know, in a similar regard, he just, for the last 20 years, like there's people that are better athletically than he was and, and better, you know, in, in many regards of different things, but he just outbehaves everyone. And, and what I mean by that is number one, he's leading you by example. Like he's, you know, meeting starts at 8 a.m. It's 7.59 and he's jogging down the hall. So he's not one second late. Hmm. I've been in plenty of locker rooms that the star players show up 10 minutes late. Yeah. Um, and it's no big deal. And like, once that happens, it's like the next star is kind of like, okay, I can show up a couple minutes late. I'm almost as good. Mm-hmm. Next star is a couple minutes late. Like, no, there's no games played in there. Uh, and Tom leads by example. He's a great human. He treats everyone really well. You would have never known who's a rookie, who's a tenure vet. Mm. And so that's the reason both of them are are successful. Is he the GOAT? Easily the GOAT. Easily. I mean, there's there's no questions about it. Yeah. And I know you can, I'm a big advocate of would he have survived in the game back then? Would other players have survived in the game back then? But also there's a lot of players that wouldn't have survived in the game today. It goes both ways. Mm-hmm. It was a very different game. Those 260 pound, you know, dudes running their face through your your face. Like they would just get run around. Like these Tyreek Hills and these little running backs of the world now would just run around them and mm. they wouldn't be able to touch them. So there's a very like dynamic and you can talk about the Joe Montana's, which I think is the next goat mm-hmm. uh, when you talk about those things. But I mean, the guy's got, the guy's been to like 20% of the Super Bowls that have ever happened or something, some yeah. ridiculous number. He's won like 8% of them and he's been to like 20% of them or yeah. whatever the number is. How do you not say that guy's the greatest? How do you not say that he's won for like 20 years? I remember I was my rookie year and I was listening to a song and I was like, this is, this was like my high school pump up song. Like, I love this song. We turn it up and Tom comes over while we're working out. And he heard that and he was like, this is like my fourth year in the league. (laughs) When this song came out. Like Tom is in the NFL right now Uh longer than the rookies have been alive. Yeah. Which is just nuts to think about. And still plays at such a high level. Still plays at such a high level. Uh Yeah. That's amazing. Well, Tyler, man, it means so much, uh, you know, that you come down here on the show, being time away from your family. And I look forward to meeting your wife and your kids and and getting together offline too, man. I can't wait. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Awesome. Thank you. This has been the Jason Hennessy Podcast. This show is produced by Whitney Welsh and Jenna Kershaw engineered and edited by Josh Fisher and recorded at Hennessy Studios. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 